Do you have other gods before this divine spark, called the child, the mind, the high self? Do you let them be the predominant force by which you live and dwell and move and act and react and have experience in all these levels of self? Or do you ever look up to soul first, God first, and then let that divine action of knowing, of loving, of joy, of peace that is the soul, that is God dwelling in you, have clear expression and freedom through the high self, in and through the mind, in and through that child. Then it isn't we, it is I. Then it is one. And that is when you truly enter into the divine flow, that divine river of loving. It is then that the soul is truly able to express loving not just to God of all creation, but to God living and dwelling here in this creation. Loving all these parts of self, all these qualities that allow the soul to have experience in this creation. And in loving all these parts, they come into harmony, they come into oneness, they begin to work together rather than live in separation. And then you don't have a we anymore. It's not we believe, we're doing, we want. It is I. I choose. I am. And so, as I was meditating, I realized how profound it is and how true it is in that one statement, have no other gods before me. And I realized that as a child and into my teens and into my early 20s, as I was still speaking about myself as the we, I had other gods before the Lord God here at the seat of the soul, the divine spark, and the Lord God of all creation. Because I lived in the we, and sometimes it was the child, and sometimes it was the mind, and sometimes it was the high self. But those components often will not allow the soul to come in and have expression because the moment they do they lose authority at the level that they reside they have given their authority away to the divine creator inside and now they must look up for what action they are to participate in and that's the beauty about meditation In our meditation, we are ever saying, look up, look up, look up here to the seat of the soul, to that divine spark that is God residing in you. And in looking up, eventually, the child, the mind, and the high self will also begin to hold its attention upward. It will begin to understand that we are now coming into alignment with a greater truth a greater presence than they are. 
and begin to participate with that action of looking up. And as we hold our attention looking up, and we begin to truly wake up and know who we truly are in that state of beingness that is soul, there is also an action of movement that is the beginning of the movement of the river of loving where the soul now begins to share itself down into that high self, into the mind quality, and into the divine child within, and begins to share its loving, bringing a movement of loving now between these components of self. And that movement of loving brings it into oneness and brings it into the I, the I am. Then... And in truth, only then can we truly begin to look up to the divine creator of all and say, I, Lord God, now am open to sharing my loving with the divine creator of all, the divine creator of me. And I'm open to receive your loving. And then we truly are a participant in that which God created soul for. God created us for one action and one action only, loving. And that is the one action that we are to move back into once again. We have forgotten that. All we have to do is remember it. All we have to do is wake up once again to the truth of who we are as the divine, living, loving essence of the Lord. To be or not to be. Wake up and don't go back to sleep. It's the very same statement, just different approaches of understanding, different ways of sharing the same truth. So it's for each of us to find within ourselves where do we want to live from and where are we living from in each moment. And I'm sure if you talk to any true spiritual teacher, they will tell you that there are times when they are living in the divine loving essence of the Lord that is the soul within them and they are sharing from that place and there are times when they're not. I would dare say it is not impossible, but is challenging to ever live from soul first in this creation because there is so much that is thrown at us, that comes at us, that rises up from within us, from those other aspects other than soul, that is ever pulling pushing, prodding, demanding, expecting, wanting, whatever. And it's not uncommon to get distracted, to get lost, to go back into old habit patterns and to live from a different place than our own soul. But all we have to do once again is to make a choice, to choose back into that loving, loving God, 
holding God first in all things, inviting the God within us to live in us and through us, to participate with us and through us, to do in us and through us, to align us in such a way that truly we are living I am. I am divine. I am the soul. I am a child of God. I am the living, loving essence of the Lord. And it is wonderful to live from that place of I am. Of that place of being, to be that living child of loving that is the child of God. So, in our daily lives, in our meditations for sure, always look up. Always look up to that divine spark that resides within. Always look up. And when those things that stir inside of us called our child, our mind, our high self, and they start calling us to look down, and get caught up in their conversation, in their actions, in their wants and needs. It's for us to say, no, you join me now in looking up into the divine self that I am. For that's who I am. I am not you. And I am not going to live you first. I am of God. I am a divine spark of God. I am an expression, an experience of God in this creation. And I am going to live God first and God only. If we begin to do that more and more in our meditation and then take that out into our daily lives, your life will change. Your attitudes will be very different. Your approach to life will be amazingly different. And then you will truly understand the simplicity of living in spirit and how simple life can be in this creation. And then the challenge is this. The mind doesn't understand simplicity. It doesn't like simplicity. It likes things complex. It likes things difficult and hard. It likes challenge. And so it will ever invite us back into those things that are of the mind and ever see things as challenge and difficult and obstacle and whatever else it might appear to be for us. When that comes up, just say, you know, mind, I'm not doing you anymore that way. I'm not doing you first. It's God first and God only. Soul first and soul only. Divine spark first and the divine child only. For I now know what it is to be. I'm going, I'm going to be. You are a part of that consciousness that is not to be. You are the part that distracts me and pulls me down into separation, into looking away from the Lord. And I'm not going to do that anymore. Share with them. But in sharing with them, don't make them wrong. And don't create separation, but rather involve them in your process. Invite them into the process by loving them. Loving them as they've never been loved before. 
And when that child and that mind and that high self begins to experience the love of the soul within, loving them and bringing them into one, bringing them into wholeness, bringing them into participation with God experiencing in this creation, then something truly wondrous happens. Where before in your meditation, you may have been struggling to hold your attention here to the seat of the soul. Oh, I've got to look up. I've got to keep looking up. What am I doing? Where am I going? Why am I focusing downward? All of a sudden, every other component of self, the child, the mind, the high self, will also be looking up because they want nothing more in truth than loving. What are we looking for out here in this creation? Loving. And we look for it in different ways in different times. The child is looking for loving. The mind is looking for loving. The high self is looking for loving. Looking down and out into this creation, hoping somewhere, somehow, someday, some lifetime, I will truly find it. There's a wondrous thing that happens when the soul begins to love them into oneness, into loving. And they begin to experience what they have been longing for for so long to be fulfilled. They begin to remind us, hey, we haven't meditated yet. Where are you going? Sit back down. No, no, not long enough. Got to sit along here. We haven't got the loving lined up yet. Sit down. Get quiet. Shut up. Listen to what's going on upstairs. Pay attention up there. That's where we want to focus. All of a sudden, there will be a day where you will realize the source of loving. And you will realize that that's the loving you've ever been longing for and searching for. And you will realize you don't have to go into the world to find it. You just go inside. And if you're missing it, you just go inside. And if you want more of it, you just go inside. And it doesn't mean sitting down and closing your eyes and meditating, because you can do it with your eyes open, driving down the street, shopping in the grocery store, talking on the phone. All you have to do is look up and go, hey, hi. I am who I am. I am soul first. I am divine first and only. And that is who I am. And that is who I am living. And if you find yourself feeling separated from that loving, wherever you are in that separation, the child, the mind, or the high self, love them. Love that part that is in separation. Even if it's not in that moment where you know you're in connection with the I am, the soul, the divine spark, just say, I love you. I love you so much. And if I have forgotten you, if I have separated myself from you, if I'm not participating with you, please know right now I am in loving with you. And I ask you to participate with me in loving. And let's do this together. Let's do this in oneness. The more you do that, the more you're going to come into the harmony and the flow and the joy of life. It's amazing to experience that movement of loving 
that movement of oneness, that movement of soul. I remember when I was meditating one time and I began to move more into this divine loving. And I heard something that began me on a new little bit of a search. I heard, I am that I am. We've all heard that throughout our lifetime. We've heard references to that statement, I am that I am. And I began a search to understand more, well, what is I am that I am? Who is I am that I am? Why do we say that? And how do we live that? And so I began a search, a quest, both inside to understand I am that I am, because here I was becoming I am. I was becoming aligned and one. It's no longer we, it's I. It's not we are doing, I am doing. But now there was this other part of the statement, I am that I am. What does that really mean and how do I begin to live into that? So... At first, I began a quest on my own, trying to find materials and books to understand it, going inside and asking for understanding from within, at that divine place where the soul resides. And finally, I got an answer. But it was a very interesting answer. Inside, I heard, I am that I am is not in a book, even though it is. I am that I am is not in the world, even though it is. I am that I am, and a greater understanding resides somewhere for you to find. And I came out of my meditation, my prayer state at that time, thinking at first I had an answer. I went, oh, wow, now I know. And then I realized, no, it still said I had to find it. But it didn't say where to find it. And I'm going, oh, great, you know, the quest is still on. It's not over. And I got from that statement that I am that I am is everywhere. It dwells everywhere. But I still wanted a further understanding. I needed a different statement, a different wording on it to really understand it. And so I decided, well, I'm going to go to the source. Not the source inside where God resides. I'm going to go to the source in the world where they keep talking about it. So I went to three different churches. I went to a Catholic church, a Presbyterian church, and I went to what was then what would be called now an evangelical church, a Pentecostal church. And I asked each of the ministers, can you tell me about I am that I am that I might truly understand it and be able to experience it fuller? And they gave me all these words and all these definitions and trying to tell me the I am that I am. And I got three different statements, three different understandings from these three different ministers according to how they had been taught in the world. And then I decided I had one other source I hadn't gone to and that was the synagogue, to a rabbi, to sit and to ask him, who is it that I am that I am? 
And he says, that is the question. Just as William Shakespeare said, to be or not to be is the question. And when he said that, I felt a stirring inside that an answer was going to come. And he says, let's open this book of Jewish terms, of Jewish statements. And he began flipping the pages, and he said, here, right here, this is what Moses really spoke of. He didn't say, I am that I am. He said, when he asked God, who are you, and who do I say sent, you, sent me? He said, God said, that which is. In the Hebrew translation, that's how it truly translates, that which is. When I heard that, I understood who I am that I am is, that which is. That which is residing right here. That which is the source of all creation. That which is God in manifestation throughout all of existence. And I began to realize that God doesn't refer to God as self or as male or as female. But God refers to self as that, that which is. If you begin to contemplate that in your meditation, you will find a powerful opening to a wondrous, wondrous land that resides inside, that is great joy and great peace and loving, the most powerful, profound loving that you can ever know. Then, in my second part of my meditation, William Shakespeare came present and said, What light through yonder window breaks? And I began to go inside. I've got to go back and read Shakespeare. I've got to go back and pull out all the questions he ever asked in all of his different plays and see if I can begin to find his mystical teachings. Because he was a teacher of the inner light and sound. He was one who initiated those in the theatrical arena into a path of meditation, into the inner path of knowing and experiencing God within. And in all of his writings are his mystical teachings. Just as in all the writings of Rumi or Kabran or Hafiz or Kabir or Nanak are all the mystical teachings of those particular teachers. And so now I'm curious. I'm going to go back and begin to look at all the questions because it seems like he's asking the questions. And that's what I've always found inside. And that's what I found with my first spiritual teacher. He never answered any question I asked. And I have not found God always answering the questions that I ask. I always get another question. What do you think? What's true for you? What do you believe? Where do you think that resides? Well, how are you going to find that? And so when Shakespeare asks this next question, I began to look 
at the question and the words of the question. For what through yonder wind, what light through yonder window breaks? This is the window, that tenth door. It is also referred to as a window. And what we are ever doing in meditation is we're looking inward and upward, looking inward and upward to see first that divine light, that light that breaks through yonder window. To see that light, to know that light, and to hold our focus on that light so that that light gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And it seems to get closer and closer and closer. He was asking everyone to be or not to be. That is the question. And if it is you want to be, then begin to look for that light through that yonder window. That yonder window, why did he say yonder? A distance, not up close. It's because the mind, the child, the high self, they live in a focus downward and outward. They live caught up in this creation. And the realm of soul and spirit is yonder. It's a ways away from those parts of this creation. And so he was saying that if you truly want to see the light that breaks through that yonder window, you've got to find the yonder window. You've got to look to that place where the window resides to see that inner light, that true light of the divine soul that you are, that divine spark. And so I'm now on a new quest. I'm going to sit down. Thank God I have a computer that will help me to do this. And I can begin to search through Shakespeare's plays. And first I'm going to pull out the questions just to see what are those questions? And do they come together as a great teaching? I don't know. I'm very curious now to see. But today he taught me a lot about myself and helped me to remember a lot about myself and my spiritual journey by asking me these two questions. And he also reminded me that my first spiritual teacher always asked questions. And that's how I got the answer. Not that he gave me the answers, but he stimulated me to go back inside and find the answer for myself. And that's really a key on this journey as well. Don't keep looking outside yourself, out into this world, for the answers. Don't go ask everybody, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? How should I do this? Do you think I'm doing this right? But look inside. Look inside. And at first, if you're not in touch with that divine spark inside yourself, look inside and ask every part of yourself the same question. The question that you are asking out here. Ask inside. When I was a child, I called it the me, myself, and I. And then that which loves God. Me, myself, and I. So I would go inside and I would ask the child inside, the question. I would ask the conscious mind, the question. I would ask the high self, the question. 
I would ask the soul the question, seeing what answers would come forward. Not so much as a child, but when I was in my teens and I had my first spiritual teacher showing me how this worked, demonstrating it to me by never answering, but just asking questions. So I began to ask these components of self questions. And it was amazing the answers I would get. And it was also rather disturbing because I'd get several different answers. The child would answer one way, the mind would answer another, the high self would go yet another direction with it. And then there was the answer of the soul. Well, at first I would find, I would pick the answer I liked the best. And I would pursue whatever that answer was. I found after a while I wasn't choosing into the answer that the soul gave me very often because the soul was ever bringing me back to being responsible for my thoughts and my feelings, my actions and my reactions and re helping me to realize that if I want something in my life, I've got to create it. I'm the divine creator. Create it for yourself. Don't look to others to create it for you. You do it. Well, I liked it way, the way the child would put it. Well, go ask mom and dad for it. They'll get it for you. They always have. And so that would often be the answer I would go with first if it had to do with material things in this world. If it had to do with things of understanding, oftentimes I would settle with the mind and the answer it would give me. Because it didn't often give me responsibility. It just gave me an answer in the moment that sort of quieted down the energy of the question. It didn't answer it really. It didn't solve the situation. But it at least distracted me from the disturbance, from the question, from the doubt, from whatever, for a while. But the soul always was reminding me to be loving, to be forgiving, to be accepting. The soul was ever reminding me, well, what did you do to create this for yourself? What do you have between you and the Lord right now? Are you being loving? Are you accepting yourself? Are you honoring the truth of who you really are as soul? And it was an amazing process for me. Even sitting here today in meditation, and realizing that there are still times when I'll look to other parts of self than to soul for the answer. Why? I don't want the responsibility. There's that part of me, the child in me, that wants somebody else to do it for me. I don't want to do it. And so it was a fun game to look at that again today and realize that no matter how long you meditate, no matter how long you keep focusing inward and upward to the Lord that dwells within you at the seat of the soul and begin to live more and more from that place, there are those times when you're just going to fall into the other patterns, the old habits, and look down and out for the answer and the solution, either into the world to others or into the world to those other aspects of self that are participants and creations in this world.
So look to the source of your own loving. Look to the source of your divinity. Always, always, always. And when you don't, let it be okay, because there'll be days when you don't. There'll be moments when you don't. Let it be okay and love those moments as well and honor them and learn from them through the experience that you have with that. Don't judge yourself because you're not living the divine soul that you are all the time. I doubt any spiritual teacher, including Jesus, ever lived in the fullness all the time of soul, of the divine. He got angry. He got upset. He got nervous or afraid. He realized at times he needed to run away and get away from the crowds. He got angry and upset and went in through the temple and tore up the temple grounds because of what he saw them doing inside. So if you get upset, if you get fearful and start running away, let that be okay. Maybe that's just a part of the divine expression manifesting itself in a new way, an old way, however way. Learn from it. Learn from every experience and bring it back to the seat of the soul and say, I offer this to you. Does this fit into who we truly are? And you know what? The soul will say every time, yes, this is another part of the puzzle. This is experience. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. If we judge it, the puzzle never gets put together because we're ever hiding or throwing away pieces of the puzzle of our own experience. The soul says, no, no, no. Bring all the experience to me. As I say, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Bring it all because that completes the picture here. That completes the journey here. That means now you don't have to come back. You can go home to God. You can reside in the realms of soul and spirit forever. So that's the journey. That's the quest. That's the action. Look up. Wake up. Be. Live this life fully, awake, aware, participating, loving, caring, joyful, enthusiastic in all that you do, in all of your creations. And then you live a life fulfilled. You live a life truly in the soul that you are. And you begin to find God living in you and through you at all times. So I close this as I began it. To be or not to be, that is the question. And maybe that could be the next chapter in your journal of what does that mean, to be or not to be. And how am I living that? How am I answering that question each day, each breath, each moment? To be or not to be? And it's wonderful to find and live the answer 
of that question. Either way, you could answer it to not be, that's my answer, or to be. And either way, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience in the journey of life. So thank you all. That was great. That was fun. <laughs>